sickness today. I asked Robbie to preach, but he wasn't sure if he was going to make it either because uh, the story that I heard was that Robbie went in to the spacewalk and four-year-old finished the job, and so uh, Robbie was still under the weather. Hope actually went in and carried them both out. That's why she's not here today. Threw her back out in the process. That's hurt. That's been the whole time coming up with that ever since he said that. Um, <clears throat> let me tell you, uh, this month, the month of October, is Pastor Appreciation Month. And um, I wanted to extend that just a little bit um, because uh, I feel like we don't have church staff appreciation month. And um, and so I'm just going to create that today, you know. So uh, I just wanted to say we have like a, we have everybody and then we have like this core team that that started with us. It was the seven of us when we began. And then um, and then from there, we developed some staff. And so I'd love to say thank you to everybody. Thank you, everybody. I'm going to say that. All right. Um, but uh, specifically, I just wanted to point out some of the people that we call staff here that maybe um, do uh, a little a little of the the extra work and those kind of things and just wanted to appreciate them. And so I took the liberty of spending some of the money that you gave to the church. So this is from you. Right. So just so you know, I took the liberty of spending your money. Um, but uh, to give some of these, this is a gift card. And uh, I wanted to give one to Rob here, if you could. I could throw them, but they're a little sharp on the edges. Uh, one for Rob, one for Tiffany. It's in the back here, and she's all smiles back there. And one for Claire. Where's Claire? Here, Claire, come get these, right? They say specifically that you cannot use them um, for necessities or toilet paper or groceries or anything like that. They have to be used for something fun. And uh, they're personally signed by me. Molly signed one of them on accident. So that's a little surprise for you guys. But I just, I think we collectively just want you guys to know that we appreciate you all and, and what you do. And so thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, let me begin by praying for you three. God, I praise you for, um, I praise you for this church body. I praise you for our, our core team that you called to, to do this together. And in this time specifically, I pray for our staff for Robbie and for Claire and for Tiffany, and just praise you uh, for me just to be able to, to serve alongside them. And God, just pray that um, that you would just continue to bless them and continue. I know this is not, it's not always easy getting off your one job and then doing another job. And so, God, I just praise you and thank you for them being willing to do that. I pray that you would give them strength uh, to just continue to do that and to serve you well. And uh, again, just praise you for the opportunity to serve with them. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, let me just go ahead. Just wanted to get that out. You know, everybody could laugh and chuckle, right? It says, Jesus, sweet Savior, King of Kings. This is my favorite candy, or my favorite, you know, uh, kind of chocolate. So this came from Kelly. Further, I say again, if you buy me a shirt, I will wear it. I may not always preach in it if it's offensive or something like that, but I will definitely wear it, though. So, okay. Uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been through anything challenging? You know, I never ask that question and people say, yes, actually I have. Usually you say, you ever been through something challenging? And people look at you like you're an idiot, you know, or they say, yeah, you know, like, of course, I've been through something challenging. Everybody has an emphatic answer to that question. If an older person is going to tell you about something challenging that they did, the story is usually going to start with when I was your age. And if you say that all the time, it means you're an older person, right? 
that's how that we all have some kind of way that we tell stories about things that were particularly challenging for us. And older people usually say, when I was your age, and they follow that with a litany of things that are only partially true, right? That tends to be how it goes. You know what I hate? I hate when you're going through something challenging and someone says to you something like, you know, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. As if being on the brink of death is, is something that's really good for you. Or they say something like, uh, this builds character. So when you're done with this, and I just want to say something like, how about I punch you in the throat and we'll see if that builds your character, you know? Because you know, that's just what it feels like. I can't stand. It's true. just doesn't seem like appropriate timing. Challenges and problems on a larger stage like poverty, hunger, you know, people with evil, people with lots of power, and all that on your brain coupled with personal problems, and some of them really large and some of them smaller, usually, call up, usually calls us to fall on one of two sides when we think about God. And we, and we usually don't fall in the middle. We usually jump to one extreme or the other. And one thing that we jump to, that some of us jump to when things are really challenging in our, in our lives and things are challenging in the world, is it causes us to fall on our knees and just begin to pray. And, and to pray for ourselves and to pray for other people and, and to intercede for others and begging God for some relief and some guidance. And some of us fall on that side. And some of us tend to fall all the way on the other side and begin to question if God really cares about us at all. Because if God really cared, would we be going through all this mess? And not only does God really care at all, but does God even really exist at all? Because if he did, would he let all these crazy things happen? Well, what I think we come to realize is, is the presence of adversity absolutely does not equate to the absence of God. And the God that we know isn't absent, he's not apathetic, he's not angry, right? He's none of those things. You wouldn't assume that your parents didn't exist because something didn't go your way or, or you didn't get what you wanted or bad things are happening to you. I never had a student say, I failed my test, therefore my father doesn't exist. You know, it's just not sound reasoning. And so as you as you walk through and you think through those things, you realize that from a philosophical standpoint and from a historical standpoint and from a uh, historical, I didn't remember which one I didn't say, but all those different standpoints. Right. It makes sense in in some sense. It makes the most sense that there is some sort of creator out there. And when we examine it from every angle, it makes sense that God is out there somewhere. And then we look specifically at the disciples. This is what we did last week. And, and, and we see people that testified to their very dying breaths that not only was God real, but that Jesus had come and that he died and that he rose again. And even when the disciples' options were, you know, you can, you can say that it wasn't true and you get to live, or you can say that it was true, and you get to die a slow and painful death, even when those were their two options. They chose to say that Jesus was alive, and no doubt they did it because they had seen it, and it was very real for them. And Peter, just days before, was denying Jesus over and over and over, and then he sees a man that he saw die come back and he has a conversation with him and then he sees that same man rise into heaven and just like you and I I hope would probably do then he's like this is a truth that I'll die for right this is not something that I can deny and why were they so sure they were sure because they had seen Jesus and so as we as we walk through it it makes sense that God is real it makes every bit of sense that Jesus is God's son 
So given all that, the pertinent question today is not yet again, is God real? The pertinent question today is, if God is real, then what happens if I don't follow him? Because that's the big question, right? It matters if God is real, you know, um, but but if he's real and there are no repercussions for not listening to him at all, then then does it really matter all that much? Specifically today, what happens to me here on this earth? Forget the afterlife and all the other things, because, you know, we, we can say all we want about it. But if you don't believe in the afterlife, then that's not doing much for you. Right. So so specifically, what happens here on the earth if you don't follow Jesus? Here's what here's why it's a pertinent question, because don't, doesn't it seem to be it seems like Christians and non-Christians alike tend to have a lot of the same problems. Um, all the things that non-believers face from divorce, murder, unemployment, you name it, it happens to both of them. So so what tends to be the thing that the thing that makes the difference? You know, why does it why is it important to follow Jesus if all the same bad things are going to happen, whether you do or whether you don't? What do you miss out on? If you don't follow Jesus, I think that's the big question. Here's what I would say. I'm just going to spoil the whole thing for you. You can take a nap after this, okay? Um, what do you miss out on if you don't follow Jesus? I think you miss out on your purpose. And to me, if there's one thing in this life that I need, when I worked a 50-hour week just to barely pay my bills, you know, and, and all, all the other craziness that happens sometimes, in this life, if there's one thing that I need, more so than maybe anything else, it is some sense of purpose. I need to know that I'm not just going to linger through this life and die and be dust, right? It's got to be worth more than that. Check this out. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes is this book that this guy wrote. Um, and, and basically he said, I wanted to try everything except God and see if that would work for me. And this is kind of his story of how all that happened. And Ecclesiastes is, is written by Solomon. He's one of the wisest, smartest, wealthiest guys in the history of the world. If Solomon needed it, he could get it. Uh, if he wanted to build it, he could figure it out. If he imagined it, he could have someone build it for him. I mean, Solomon could make it happen. And when I think of a lot of my problems, I think the amount of money that he had absolutely could fix most of my problems. With all his money, he sought after all these different kinds of things. And then look what he said after he sought after everything but God. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. This is what he said after all that searching. He said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Does that not depress you just a little bit? I mean, just the whole statement. I always tell people, if you're on the brink of saying, you know what, it's not worth it anymore, don't go read Ecclesiastes, right? Because it just kind of makes you feel like, you know, everything is not worth anything. Let me tell you how Solomon arrived at this conclusion. And tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Number one, he just started pursuing everything except God. Here's some of the things that he chased after. He details all of them. But uh, one thing he says he chases after is pleasure. Look at the next chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, here's what I said to myself. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself all the pleasure I can find, and, and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. He said, I did that. It proved to be meaningless. Then I said, verse 2, laughter. I said, man, I'm going to try to make myself laugh as much as I can, because if I can laugh all the time, surely I'll enjoy life. Laughter, I said, is madness. 
And what does pleasure accomplish? And then he did what, did what some of us do, right? When nothing else is going right, he, verse 3, he tried to cheer himself with some wine. And he said, maybe nothing else is working. Maybe I'll just get drunk, right? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. And what you see as you read on is that not yet one of these things made him feel any better about where he was going or what he was doing. And none of his purpose, none of this overall thing, when he finally came back down off the high of whatever he was doing, it all seemed to be pretty meaningless. Our world lives for pleasure. Let me give you an unnerving number. The adult entertainment industry is a $14 billion industry. Talking about seeking pleasure. Uh, the adult entertainment industry, a $14 billion industry. Just for reference sake, toilet paper is a $6 billion industry. And we all use toilet paper, right? So that just gives you an idea of how staggering this number is. People are looking for pleasure in any kind of way that they can. If we can hear Solomon say this, who could get himself anything he wanted and did, and then we look at the lives of people who have gotten financially all the things that we want, and they've sought after all the pleasure that maybe we can't afford, and yet still their lives are falling apart, and they're still looking for some sort of purpose and some sort of meaning. If we can see all that, isn't it enough for us just to at least say, this must not be it. Like this searching after pleasure and just trying to make myself laugh all the time or trying to find some happiness apart from God, at least that must not be it. He starts with pleasure, and I'm not going to jump through all the things that he goes through, but the other one I think is, is really is, is important and, and, and relevant to us is, is in verses 4 through 11 of chapter 2. And, and the next thing he does is he says, I'm going to give myself stuff. This is the next thing he chases after. And he says, I'm going to try to buy all the stuff that I can and see if that makes me happy. Look what he says about this. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit and trees in them. I made reservoirs to, grow, to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. You get it? He's like, I, I tried to give myself stuff and I gave myself more stuff than anyone I had ever known in history gave themselves, right? I, I did it all. Uh, verse 8, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delight of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He says, man, I tried to get stuff for me and I was good at it. I made a lot of money. I collected a lot of things. I did it better than anyone had ever done it. Verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. So he says, everything seemed to be going great. And then verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, I looked around at everything that all this work had got me and all these things that I'd been chasing after, and I looked at, at all that I had toiled to achieve, and yet again, he says, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, and nothing at all was gained under the sun. Man, doesn't that seem a little depressing? 
sometimes I feel I'm just living for the next promotion and maybe the next best job and, you know, like kind of the next best thing and we're going to build, we're going to sell this house and get the bigger house and I'm going to sell this old truck and get the newer truck. And a lot of it, a lot of the things that we're planning for and then we're planning for retirement and we got to start saving for that and one day, one day we're going to have all this stuff and he's like, man, I got way more stuff than you will ever, ever get and it just didn't mean all that much. We save money to buy vacation homes we don't live in, boats we don't fish in, clothes that aren't even all that comfortable, right? We do all that stuff because we're seeking something, thinking surely my purpose is in being able to attain things and then enjoy them. And Solomon's like, I did it bigger and better than you ever could, and I realize that it's, it's madness. That's what he says. It just ends up being madness. We have, uh, we have more in this country than, than any other country in the world combined, right? And, and the average wealth of a citizen here far exceeds the average wealth of a citizen anywhere else in the world. So even though some other countries are getting close to us in, in, the, in the, you know, their, their economic scale and those kind of things, still, collective, as individuals in this country are, are wealthier than any, anybody else, but yet still we feel like there are a lot of things we don't have. I think this this attitude comes in. There was an interview with one of the Rockefellers, and I'm not sure which one. But they asked him, how much is enough? And he said, one more dollar. And I think that just signifies the way we think sometimes. Uh, How much is enough? Just a little bit more. I know every time I get a raise, I'm like, this is the one that's going to solve some of those problems. And then a few years later, I'm like, man, I need another one of those. And then a few years later, I need another one. And it seems like uh, enough is just a little bit more. Here's the thing. The problem is not with pleasure itself or stuff or any of those kind of things. The problem is trying to find some purpose in those things and tricking ourselves into thinking that that's what life is about. What happens to you if you don't follow God is that you find yourself without purpose. When you become the most depressed, I would imagine, think about yourself, think about the times that you were kind of at the lowest. When you find yourself the most depressed, the most without a sense of direction, you'll find that you've begun to look around a lot. You've begun to look around at all the bad things that are happening to you and around you. You've, you've begun to look around at all you want and don't have. You survey, you're surveying your situation over and over and over. And that's the times when you get to be the most down, when you look around the most. Rather than looking to Christ and looking at what he's done for you. Boy, those are the times that we pick up out of those things. After trying everything else, this is Solomon here. After he tried everything else, after he sought after everything but God, this is what he says, very end of the book. He details this whole story about everything he tried except for God. We get all the way to the end of the book. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. He concludes, finally, he says, I I realized after everything I went through that this is what it's about. This is what purpose is about. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He says, now all has been heard. Basically like, I said everything I have to say. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of all mankind. God said it to, uh, to Moses a little bit differently, and, I, and it helps me you know, kind of wrap my mind around it. He said to Moses, but I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And Solomon chased after everything else. And what he came back to is, man, it seems like a worthwhile purpose is to know God. 
you know, to pursue him, to seek after him, and also to make him known. And after everything I chased after, this is the only thing that at the end of the day that made me feel like I was doing something good. And this and this alone is the only thing that will leave you not wondering about your purpose. This is the only thing that begins to fill you. This is the only thing that won't leave you thinking, man, everything is meaningless, right? Just a total chasing after the wind. The only thing you miss when you don't follow God is this. This is the only thing you miss. So that if you're okay with this, then, then you can absolutely say, I'm okay without God. The only thing you miss when you don't follow God is your entire purpose for living. If you're okay with that, then, then I guess you're okay with it. There's this neighborhood in Chicago. It's called a, it's a housing project. It's called Cabrini Green. It's a lot like some of the housing projects that we have here. It's a really big one. Uh, there's been a couple articles. Uh, it was a Time Magazine article and, and a few other large newspapers. wrote an article about a guy that lives there. He's, uh, he's 66 now. Uh, everybody, in the, everybody in the housing project knows him as Brother Bill. Um, he is a chubby white guy, large glasses. He's employed by Catholic Charities. So um, all he does is he's just a minister to this neighborhood. Um, his self-proclaimed mission is to just to bring peace to the troubled housing project. By his own count, he says 53 times he's, uh, he's walked right in the middle of gang battles, like like with gunfire, 53 times he's walked right in the middle. Since 53 times I've walked in and 53 times walked away unscathed. And what he does is he walks in and he just begins to have conversations with people who are going to shoot one another. And he talks them down away from doing that, talks them into going home with their families. Anybody who hangs back, he sits and he, and he has conversations with them and he shares with them about the love of Jesus. And he talks to people who hope to die. And, and many of them say, the reason we came is because it doesn't matter whether we live or die. And he sits down with these people that are just hell-bent on shooting one another and don't care if they die in the process. And he sits with them and he persuades them to live. And, and he says about himself, he says, there's nothing extraordinary about what I've done. I'm just an ordinary man on an extraordinary mission. And he doesn't go in. He's not preaching at people, right? He's just coming in and he's just loving people. And he doesn't put it this way, but I think very clearly what it is, is he's a man who's come to in some way understand God. He's come to know God and pursue God. And he's trying to make him know. And Brother Bill is a guy who lives in a chosen to live in in one of the toughest housing projects in the United States. Yet he's a guy who is full of purpose and full of joy. He gets why he's here. He gets why he's here. And so I'm not trying to be all dramatic and all that kind of stuff, right? But my question to you is, do you get why you're here? Or do you consistently ask yourself, even in the back of your mind somewhere, why do I really do all this? Here I find myself at this stage in life, and I didn't accomplish near what I wanted to, or or maybe I did accomplish everything I wanted to, and it's just not all that I thought it was going to be. Here I find myself, what's the point of all this? I pray for you today that you would quit going through the motions. I pray that you would just quit asking yourself this question. Because what we do is we ask ourselves that question, and then we just continue to walk through the things that give us no purpose. I pray that you would quit walking through the motions, quit feeling without purpose, and that you would just say yes to Jesus. And if you're a Jesus follower, you would just commit yourself to knowing him and telling other people about him. 
and find some real purpose in the midst of all that. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, and maybe you're like, well, I mean, I don't know. I've been in church a long time. I don't know if I ever actually said yes to Jesus. I don't know if I ever actually began to follow Jesus. I mean, I've been doing these things, but I don't know if I do that. I pray that you would stop living this this voidless purpose purposeless life, right? And I pray that you would just say yes to repentance and yes to Jesus's offer of salvation. And in doing so, find some purpose. Let me pray. God, I praise you um, that we get that. I praise you that we don't have to live here and just become dust at the end of it. And whatever we accumulate while we're here is, is the sum of who we are. But God, we get this way bigger purpose in knowing you and in serving you and in following you and in telling people about you. And when we find that purpose, we get to have, there's joy that we cannot imagine on the other side. And God, I pray that people today here that have been muddling through, wondering what it's all about, would say, now I get what it's all about. And a step further, I'm just going to follow you. And I pray that they would put you to the test there and, and say, God, show me how great you are, because I know that you will. God, I pray that as we come now and, and take communion, I pray that the, the things that you have put on our heart would not just slide off as we walk out the door, but now we would begin to imprint them on our hearts and on our minds. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Amen.